Tatooine? Why does everyone want to go back to Tatooine? Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our episode. Did you enjoy our prologue? <laughs> It was short, to the point. To the point. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, we're we're going back to Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, we are in this episode where we talk about Twin Suns, which we haven't talked about in a really long time. A really long time. That is Twin Suns, not like the planet as a whole, but the episode Twin Suns from season three of Rebels. Yeah, I think that this is probably one of the most highly regarded Star Wars animation episodes ever, and I think it was about time that we did a sort of deep dive on it, but I don't know. I'm just, I I feel like it's been a while since I've been at the microphone. I don't know why I feel like that, but it feels really good to be here tonight to record. (laughs) Feels really great to be here with you tonight. I know, but I feel like I say that because Caitlin and I just watched like a bunch of parody music videos um, before we started recording that were actually really great and really fun so (laughs) I feel like I'm in a really good mood because I feel like we just went down like a deep dive of YouTube that we haven't been down in so long yeah and the the parody videos were really great uh we tweeted about them so I'll I'll link it in the show notes it's fine yeah that's they're like not a part of the show like we didn't use them for research or anything but we did enjoy laughing at them so (laughs) Laughing with them, not at them, because they're really funny. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're really, they're really well made. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even say they're parody. They're just, uh, they're songs. A main facet of our fandom was YouTube when we were first getting into Star Wars fandom when we were like uh, twelve, thirteen, and uh, it's it's funny because Caitlin was like, "This is just like that Moose Jaw video, which was a creator on YouTube that we used to watch when we were younger," and I was like, "Yes," so it was just funny <laughs> to to recall that. Yeah, yeah. Those those kind of the the funny Star Wars videos are just some of the best. I know. I feel like I don't watch enough of them. I know. They used to be I think the heyday really was uh mid aughts, it oh, <laughs> feels yeah. like. And I, I feel like there's not enough like really funny parody videos. I, maybe it's because most of the parody videos have like kind of transitioned to TikTok and uh like Twitter videos really more so than YouTube long-form parody videos. Or maybe we're just not in the space. I don't know. I mean, the fact that we didn't see these videos until now, I think we're just not in the space. We have to we have to get in the space and let the algorithms do their work, you know? Okay. We need to work a little harder for the YouTube algorithm to serve us content that's not overwhelmingly negative. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Because that's that's what the algorithm requires. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But today we are going to be talking about Twin Sons from Rebels. Uh, this is Season 3, Episode 20 of Rebels. It first aired on March 18th, 2017. So three years ago, before The Last Jedi, before Tross, right after Skytalkers started. Like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is uh, this is a long time ago, and it was directed by Dave Filoni, written by Dave Filoni and Henry Gilroy, and it is, like Charlotte said, I think it is one of the best episodes of Rebels. I think it's one of the best episodes in Star Wars animation ever. I feel like I can't watch it enough because I actually feel like there's so much to unpack, and it's surprising because I actually think the episode 
doesn't have a lot, like not a lot happens in it. It's just so good. (laughs) And we'll talk about it. Yeah, we will. It is. It's a great episode for a lot of different reasons. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves already in the in this first bit. Mm -hmm. So in part one, we're going to be talking about our initial impressions. In part two, we're going to be doing something a little different and talking about the comparisons between this episode of Rebels and North by Northwest, a film by Alfred Hitchcock. You know the guy. Hitchcock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then in part three, it's uh, it's going to be a little bit old school. We're doing a catch-all part. Only old school Sky Talkers fans remember when we used to have catch-all parts in All our episodes. Uh, like yeah. every episode. It was yeah. like part three, catch-all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Welcome to part one, where we're talking about impressions. And I think, you know, if you've been listening to Sky Talkers for a while, I think you know that we frequently talk about season four of Rebels and how much we love it. Uh, World Between Worlds, I can hear you crossing it off your Sky Talkers bingo and rolling your eyes at how much we mention it and how much we love the back half of season four of Rebels. But season three, we don't talk enough about. And it is an incredible season. And Twin Sons, I think, Twin Sons is also one of those episodes that I remember watching and immediately wanting to devour everything that was being said about this episode. It was, I love it so much. And I feel like it was something that we talked about so much after it aired. And we were, I feel like that was like, we were listening. I remember like basically following Sam Witwer around the internet wherever he was doing an interview, <laughs> just listening to all his interviews on Mall in this episode. And I think that I think that it was such an incredible feat what they were able to do in this episode. Um, what were kind of your first reactions when you saw it? I remember watching it and immediately going on social media to see what people we're talking about and I loved it. I thought it was great and I remember really loving the end scene um especially because I think I was pretty worried that Luke Skywalker was going to make a major like have a major role in this episode and I wasn't sure if I really wanted that. And I felt like everything that was in this episode was so tasteful and I loved it. And so when I went on online, it was crazy to see how polarizing and how split the reaction to this episode was i think overall in fandom though it has grown to be wow this episode made a lot of bold choices and everyone can respect that but at the time i think people were like oh man like number one maul is dead number Mm -hmm. two the last battle wasn't like a super intense beautifully choreographed battle number three it was a lot of ezra when a lot of people really were really excited to see obi-wan kenobi which makes perfect sense in my opinion Um, of being curious about where he was in his time on Tatooine. And also people were wondering how Luke could potentially uh, fit into the story, if at all. And I think that in some of those cases, people were sort of disappointed or their expectations were really high. And of course, Dave subverts them (laughs) or something like that, you know? And I thought, I found honestly that discourse so interesting and I still do because I think that it's something that rebels did pretty well, in my opinion, about focusing on the major characters, the main characters, and also weaving them through this story that ultimately, it's called Star Wars Rebels. It's going to end in some way by by overlapping with the rebellion in some way. Upon rewatch, I was just really surprised at how quickly this episode went by. 
And to be honest, I don't – I remember the criticism and I remember like the discourse, but I feel like it's not something that gets brought up with this episode as much anymore you know it's like when when something first airs you know you know to to bring in the last jedi it's not like the last jedi still right where it's like if if you have very strong opinions about that film you still have really strong opinions about that film and you'll probably talk about it and i don't feel that way about twin sons i feel like you're right like these things that we were all kind of anticipating on the edge of our seat about as far as the last battle with maul about there being so much ezra about not when we say not a lot happening, it doesn't mean that not a lot happened, but I think you guys know what we mean when we say not a lot happened. <laughs> but just this kind of um, – Twin Sons has this kind of weird air around it, this like calm stillness before something really kind of seminal happens mm-hmm. in the show. And I think it's very – it has a very interesting atmosphere to it that – I don't think we get to see a lot in Star Wars. And so I think it it really it really does stand out, even if you didn't have Obi-Wan and Maul in it, the atmospheric qualities to this episode and the tone of it are really really do stand out, I think, uh, within the series as a whole and within Star Wars, honestly, too. Yeah, I think that this episode, I look back upon it and think that bold moves were taken. And I feel like a lot of fans can respect that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like quietly bold, not aggressively bold like say Siege of Mandalore was in The Clone Wars. Yeah. It feels like I feel like as if we can discuss how this episode has aged and I think you are is that it, yes, people were very reactionary at the beginning, but I think that a lot of fans grew to respect the choices that were made in this episode and realize that their reactions could have been products of their own um, ideas about how things should go. And this this episode to me is something that I honestly can't get enough of hearing fans and uh, creators talk about. I feel like I could listen to Dave talk about this f- so long, right? I feel mm-hmm. like <laughs> this is one that when you hear, even on Rebels Recon, you hear that this episode was totally scaled back, that so much was cut out that things were changing so often him and Henry Gilroy were altering the the amount of characters that were in there and the purpose of the story and everything and i think that i have such tremendous respect of that editing that i only want to hear why that editing was made you know why those choices were made and it feels so purposeful and i feel like something that star wars fans have a lot of respect for including myself is understanding those purposely made decisions that you know i'm committing to this i'm committing to the fact that the obi-wan and maul the last battle between them is only going to be like 10 seconds and it's it's gonna what it's really about is those two characters not necessarily the flashy battle we already had that flashy battle we've had a couple of them and i i just i feel like there's just there can't be enough said about this episode honestly just because i think there's just so much to dig into yeah, I completely agree. And I think that this episode is also such a good thing to look at in the Star Wars world. Like we, we talk a lot about how Star Wars is made, right? And like the timeline of how Star Wars is made. But this episode in particular was such a big deal when it came out. And it still is. 
but now, like that was 2017. That was before Clone Wars was coming back. That was before we knew about a Kenobi TV show, right? Like now we can look at this this episode through an entirely new lens with so many other things that Star Wars has taught us or shown us in the past three years now. I just think it's really interesting because we often talk about Star Wars, like the films being reframed through the TV shows and, you know, books and comics and video games and stuff like that. But I think it's really fascinating to see this really important TV show being reframed through the other shows that have come after it. And that all of the kind of ambiguity that's wrapped up in this episode it's like after having Siege of Mandalore and knowing that there's a Kenobi show, it's like I still don't have any more answers or like hard and fast um, opinions about this, about like some of the implications in this episode. Like I think the ambiguity within it and the way that they talk about these, like we're going to be getting into, you know, like obviously like the chosen one are still it's like Siege of Mandalore doesn't answer this question about the chosen one anymore in within twin sons and i don't know i shouldn't either yeah exactly because it comes before twin sons in the timeline but after in terms of creation so then it that's what's so good about star wars and i've said this before i'm beating a dead horse at this point but like it's so great to have these different frames of reference in which to view episodes we've seen a hundred times or just once and to to understand that they can be viewed differently in the course of the timeline yeah exactly but then this is when you start getting into like creators intentions with these things because right like maybe dave and henry had a specific idea of the chosen one in what they're probably making this episode in 2015 2016 so this is this is like fresh off the heels of the force awakens yeah (laughs) and like that you know like again last last jedi is still filming when this comes out so crazy (laughs) right so all of these things and, and of course like you know, Dave is having these conversations, like he's not making this in isolation, obviously. And there are a lot of other voices here, but Dave's idea of the chosen one or how that should be presented in 27 is perhaps different than what it was for what we see in uh, the Siege of Mandalore and how he thinks about the chosen one then in Siege of Mandalore. Or, or is his thinking of Siege of Mandalore influenced by his thinking from Twin Sons? In which case, as we used to say when we were younger, it's backtracking rather than foreshadowing. It's backshadowing. Oh my god! <laughs> it all comes back. <laughs> it all comes back <laughs> because of because of how these things are made and and what um, the influences are. But then again, right? We know that Clone Wars was announced in 2018, which means they were probably working on it in 2017. Which is when this came out, too. All the conversations were happening (laughs) concurrently. That's the thing that I find so fascinating is the conversations about the Force, where the story is going, how does it reflect back, how can Rebels become a reflection of the new story that we're telling right now with the sequel trilogy as the first series as a Disney, you know, a Disney property. It's it all is compounded. It all is reflected back. It's a mirror. Yeah. Uh, no it's a fractal oh my god that that, like guys when i tell you that that blew my mind because that 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 honestly is the best way to describe it because it's like dave is making uh siege of mandalore to be reflective of what has already come before which is rebels which actually comes after siege of mandalore like all of these stories are folding in on themselves. Anyway, I just I think fractal is like the best way to describe like right Star Wars is poetry, but it's a fractal really because the fractal makes it 4D 
in regards to like the cre- the actual creation of it and people going back and forward in the timeline. Uh, poet like to describe it as poetry is to look at it as something that is linear from beginning to end as as an audience you can do. But I think I think the fractal metaphor brings in how a lot of us are honestly looking at these pieces, um, thinking about like the creation of them when they're being created, who was doing anyway, you you guys get No, no, you're so right. And (laughs) even when we were talking to Anne um and Convery, she talked about how Dave even felt like he was making he had the the way that the Clone Wars ended was only because of the way that he was able to like learn what he had learned on Rebels and what everything that came before. So it's not just fans looking upon this from new eyes, but it's also creators because all of those come together in a fractal. In a fractal. And then they go out again into another fractal. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the beauty of fractals. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your favorite parts about this episode? I love all of it. I <laughs> I love Ezra kind of venturing out into the desert on his own. I think that whole sequence is is beautiful and sad. And if you didn't cry when Chopper powered down, like I I don't know if we can be friends. <laughs> uh, but I I really do think Chopper stands out so much in this episode of him like sneaking into the ship and. You know, when he does that moment of, am I going to follow Ezra? Or am I going to go out? Oh, I can't leave Ezra alone and like follows after him. I don't know. I just think, I, you know, ch- chopper feelings are real. <laughs> that droid has so many emotions. And it's surprising for a droid whose primary emotion is grumpy. Yeah. But when it's just so good. You're so right. When he decides to follow him, when he powers down, it's heartbreaking. Sometimes the moments in Rebels, like the top 10 most heartbreaking moments in in Rebels, a lot of them have to do with Chopper. Like when Chopper reaches for Hera's hand. No. It's just... (laughs) We can't talk about it. (laughs) It's just too much. It's too much. I think that for me, some of my favorite parts about this episode are the utter lack of music throughout basically the entire entirety yeah. i feel like this is it was such a bold choice and like i said before i think that we have to respect the bold choices that were being made in this episode it's also interesting to me that this episode is in a season finale yeah. i've always found that fascinating because it is such a it's an episode that feels like a finale because it's so building up to so much but also it's not building like i think that it, this episode as an audience member, when you were watching it, you were like, oh, we're building to so much. This is so important. Wow. And Dave is like, it's actually like, it's it's really important, but we got to move on because our, th- this isn't our main character. Like, we ought to continue to focus on Ezra. Yeah. And I sort of appreciate the fact that this is a, a not a mid-season because it's like the penultimate episode of the season. But I do appreciate that it's not a season finale because, I don't know, it just, it, it sticks out to me. It's so special. And something I, I, I also really appreciate is that, it, I mentioned this before, but the moment when Luke runs across the screen at the end, it doesn't really feel like fan service to me. It feels like it makes me sob. Like it's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's so perfect because I didn't need to see Luke's face. I didn't need to see Luke. Maybe we'll see him in the Kenobi series. I don't know, but I really didn't need to see it because basically all we saw was, you know, Obi-Wan's like complete and utter devotion for protecting this boy. When the moment he's mentioned, or even just like the idea of him is mentioned from Maul, he ignites his lightsaber and it's like a no thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> all of a sudden he activates Jedi mode 
And I think that's so cool. And it's honestly pretty badass. (laughs) Yeah, I think that this episode, you know, it reminds me of Dave talking about fan service in the behind the scenes Mandalorian gallery and and talking about how it's in a way it's something you have to practice Mm -hmm. (laughs) of what to do. And I, I, I think I always trust that Dave and his team really consider these things like what is the value of putting Luke at the end of this. And I think this this is something we talked a lot about with Clone Wars season seven of the the timeline of Clone Wars season seven of like going over Revenge of the Sith and really going over it and how it was really great to not treat that as such like a sacred space, right? Of how like Clone Wars can exist in Revenge of the Sith timeline. It's like, well, no, it actually can. And that that was something I kind of obsessed a lot over before it aired of like, what are they going to do? <laughs> and, and, and because I, I'm that person to run the risk of like, can they go, like, can they go into Revenge of the Sith timeline? And it's like, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm the person of like, well, what if it like, you know, like I, I just obsess over these things. And, and then of course I'm always proven wrong, but like to get back to what I was saying or what I was thinking in my head, um, like seeing Luke is also that kind of, Oh, like it's okay to see this character here. Like he, I don't have to treat him with kid gloves. Like he can only exist in A New Hope and beyond. Um, to see him in something that, you know, it's different from like something like Galaxies of Adventures, right? That are like shorts, like that. Like that, that's different than Rebels. I think like these are like big chunks of Star Wars time. I don't know. I think it's it's good to see these things, these characters, these places that are treated so sacredly by Star Wars fans and to, in a way, kind of normalize seeing them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 even hearing Baru and Luke and it it didn't feel you know, like it didn't feel fan servicey. And I think there's always that risk. And we talk about that a lot of what works and what doesn't. Because at the end of the day, it's like, What's the value, like the value in seeing Luke at the end of Twin Suns, the value of seeing Vader at the end of Clone Wars, I think it's an interesting comparison to make between the two because I think in Twin Suns, it's kind of understood what Obi-Wan is there for. And Mm -hmm. I I think it, it probably could have worked without Luke there, honestly, but it just really hammers home what he's doing there without being so gratuitous yeah the moment isn't about luke yeah it's not like we got a shot of luke it's literally i think it's isn't it ezra's body model used to run across the screen oh, off, yeah, across the screen yeah um so it's not like they designed someone new for, for luke it doesn't that doesn't even matter but at the end of the day it's a moment for obi-wan because mm-hmm. after this he had this conversation with maul the dying words about the chosen one and as he as at the end of the episode when Obi-Wan is watching over Luke, you get the sense of purpose about why he's there um, that perhaps we wouldn't have gotten if if Obi-Wan just kind of like drifted out into the desert night um, without that glimpse of watching over. Instead, we have this memory now as Star Wars fans that Obi-Wan is actually always watching. And yeah. I think that's it's kind of funny to say it out loud, but I think that if that's his mission on Tatooine, which we know it was from Revenge of the Sith, then it's interesting to see it that that played out at least in the smallest little bit. Yeah. I think uh, I I just have to say, you know, Tatooine, of course, is a a very emotional planet now. (laughs) 
<laughs> given <laughs> the end of Tross. But in this whole conversation of like, why are we going back to Tatooine? I just I I think that now there's this pattern again of a graveyard here, mm-hmm. and Maul is buried on Tatooine too. Uh, mm. I don't know. I just uh, it was just something I was thinking about when I was watching it, and again, my my questioning of why returning to this to to literally this graveyard at the end of Rise of Skywalker, and you know, Maul is such an interesting character of. Uh, we feel empathy for his death and knowing that that is his final resting place too. I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. I think we're going to talk about this later, but let's just talk about it here. When we talk about Tatooine, what is it about Tatooine that keeps us coming back? Because, or why does it keep coming up in Star Wars aside from the fact that we know it because it was the first planet that we were basically introduced to within the Star Wars universe? What does it represent? Is that why we're coming back to it? Honestly, it probably is in some part, but I think that just knowing how Dave Filoni's brain operates, I mean, I actually don't because (laughs) I I don't know him, (laughs) but I think just like understanding how he works as a storyteller and like observing for so many years, I think it doesn't, you don't go back to Tatooine without a real reason (laughs) to go back to Tatooine. And I think that for me, the answer is that Tatooine represents adversity and struggle and trial and and I think that the characters that we have the hero characters that exist on Tatooine are able to rise above that adversity that struggle and that's their story and that's why we keep returning to it in some way because of this representative meaning of Tatooine so we have Ezra here on in this episode and it's the whole thing is a major struggle. It's a mistake for Ezra to follow this. It is temptation mm-hmm. from the dark side. And yet he is able to survive it with the 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 help and the hope from his friend and Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is there to help Luke basically rise above the adversity of living on this planet, right? And yeah. I think that if we can think about that, especially when it comes to like the different places that we see Tatooine in other instances throughout Star Wars, then it sort of makes a little bit of sense. I still I struggle with that. Everyone knows Caitlin and I struggle with the ending of The Rise of Skywalker. And I think it's because of this, like, the fact that Tatooine represents adversity. But I guess that if if we wanted to kind of go down the path, then perhaps like the meaning is that Rey is supposedly at the end, rising above the adversity and moving on. But I still... I struggle with that just because I I don't know if it was done like super well. <laughs> and I think that I think the the question remains about like, how is this actually going to uh, what's next for the Mandalorian now that we've seen Tatooine in that in that series? Um, and like, what does that mean? And does the, the the definition of adversity or struggle continue on that planet for him and baby Yoda? Yeah, I think. I think it's really interesting to compare all of these these moments on Tatooine. I, I think it could be worth doing like an entire episode talking about what what goes okay, what happens on, on Tatooine stays on Tatooine uh, until it doesn't <laughs> until everyone leaves and then comes back. I don't know. Yeah, I think that you know it it is a place of adver- adversity, and I like Charlotte said, we both have very strong negative feelings about Ray returning there at the end of the rise of Skywalker because of all these things that are happening there. Like 
good things generally don't happen on Tatooine and the fact that like she returns to this graveyard what what does what are we saying here and but it's treated as something celebratory what i think is is for the purposes of this episode is comparing the fact that and this is what i was thinking about when i was rewatching it is my reaction to returning to Tatooine and Rebels versus returning to Tatooine in Rebel or in uh, the Mandalorian both of which are directed by Dave Filoni, which is 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 fun too. Because if you listen to our Mandalorian recaps, Cheryl and I, that was probably one of our least favorite episodes of season one was the Tatooine episode in the Mandalorian. Whereas this Tatooine episode, we're like, God's here, amazing. Let me count the ways I love it, you know. <laughs> and and what is the difference in these? in these presentations of Tatooine, uh, why is it okay here, but it wasn't my favorite in The Mandalorian? Is it simply because Obi-Wan is there and I have an attachment to Obi-Wan rather than the actual place of Tatooine? Is that fair of me to like this one more versus the other one? Is the purpose more clear, the reason more clear to me in Rebels than it is in The Mandalorian? Uh, I think it's kind of fascinating, you know, considering we are such big fans of Dave's Dave's work that these are both his Tatooines and we have very different opinions of of each (laughs) version of it. I've warmed to that episode a lot. I mean, I, I, I love all The Mandalorian, but that if I were ranking them... Probably that would lower. Yeah, it, it would be in the bottom half, right? Yeah, Where, I but think then it's like I love the first episode that Dave directed. So anyway, this isn't like a, a critique. <laughs> like you, you guys know, but I just think it's it's interesting that that probably is one of my least favorite episodes of The Mandalorian versus this Tatooine, both given to me by Dave. <laughs> okay, I would say that you already nailed it by saying that it's because this intention for twin sons is clearer than that episode of the Mandalorian, which ends on a sour note because it is unfinished. And I feel like there are a lot, there's a lot to dig into with that episode of the Mandalorian in particular, in terms of evolution for the planet. But at the end of the day, that didn't really appear to be on the surface in the same way that the sort of, wisdom of the slow crawl of twin sons kind of does yeah i think that's accurate just it it is super interesting and i do it probably does have to do with your seeing obi-wan kenobi too and seeing luke as well i think that we all carry these biases within us about our favorite parts of star wars and what we think you know should exist in star wars i also think that this time period we're aware of how old luke is it's like we know where he is <laughs> at, at this <laughs> where, time where it's is not this a child you know yeah. it's like there are two children in these episodes same planet two children <laughs> and it's like i think that i don't know i think that we we weren't we didn't really learn anything super surprising about luke skywalker in this episode we just know he was there and that obi-wan kenobi was watching over him and i think that, that in itself is kind of comforting when yeah. The, the new information that we were presented with in The Mandalorian perhaps isn't comforting because it's new and it's an ever-evolving series. While this feels like, in the way that Rebels does, a complete episode with a, a start and a finish. Yeah, I just, yeah. I think it's kind of cool now to be being able to, like when you were talking earlier about you know, having a pretty high familiarity at this point with Dave's work, obviously, and like spending so much time like breaking it down 
to be able to like look back now like across different mediums of his work in different styles and comparing and contrasting and even now that we've both watched Avatar too like seeing from the very beginning I don't know it's kind of fun it's great it's just it's kind of fun (laughs) it is just a little okay are you ready to talk about North by Northwest let's go okay Okay, so welcome to part two. We're going to be talking about North by Northwest, and I promise it's not as scary as it sounds, especially if you haven't seen North by Northwest, because we're not really going to be talking about North by Northwest. I just I have to preface this by Charlotte. We wa- rewatched this episode, and she texts me, and she's like, "North by Northwest." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah," and like I knew she was rewatching Twin Suns, but I didn't remember that this was a coordinate in Twin Suns that was referenced. And you're like, "Do you think that?" She was like, "Do you think there's a connection?" And I go to the Hitchcock movie. <laughs> we're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, no one's talked about this. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, maybe people have. I don't maybe, know. I couldn't no one find that we, anything. No one that we know of at the time. Yeah. And I don't know. It was just funny. I, you know, we've we've done a lot of comparisons on this on this show, and of course, we've talked about Hitchcock before. With the Ahsoka Leaves arc is very influenced by Hitchcock, clearly. Um, but. Yeah, I think this was this felt like it came out of left field and, and I feel like with a lot of our episodes, you know comes out of left field. Yeah. And then and then I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? And then I'm like, Oh, I got it. Everything. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> North by Northwest. Yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> yep. Well, it's not that weird. Okay, let me back it up. Okay. In Twin Suns, the episode, Ezra in the very beginning when he's landing on Tatooine and Chopper's in the in the ship with him, he says land over there, go that way north by northwest. And he gives those coordinates. And it kind of raised my eyebrow first because it was like, no one says that. Also, that's a direct Hitchcock reference. And we all know that Star Wars is a pastiche of classic movies and different genres and everything. And we also know that Dave is a big Hitchcock fan, given like uh, Caitlin mentioned with the Ahsoka Leaves arc. All those episode titles, if you're not aware, are... um basically directly lifted from Hitchcock movies and a lot of the lighting and everything is pretty spot influence. On. Yeah. It's like completely spot on. Yeah. I remember K- Caitlin, you took a Hitchcock class in college and I remember you being like, wow. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I think, I think it might've even been when this was airing and wow. Just, wow. <laughs> it was very soon after. Cause I remember, yeah. And I, 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 even though I took that Hitchcock class, it's it's been a while since I've really delved into Hitchcock, but uh, I I didn't have a big familiarity with his work uh, before taking that class and and seeing the comparisons. <laughs> Ahsoka leaves and anyway 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 college is a good class. <laughs> Basically, I thought it was interesting because it's mentioned, it's called out, and the thing about the title North by Northwest is like that's not necessarily a a very clear direction. And it's not often that you hear in Star Wars people giving directions like north, south, east, west. It is land the land there in that foggy clicks. place. Five, yeah, five clicks. clicks. Right. And and so it just felt earthly. And I was like, oh, that's a reference. It totally is a reference. I couldn't find anything on the internet about this. And I think that's so weird. <laughs> so we have to talk about it because I I think that a lot of the concepts that are in the film North by Northwest have to have influenced this episode. And if they don't, we're still going to analyze it through the lens of that because that's what we do here. And even if it was unintentional, I swear it fits. 
basically, I think that something that's so interesting about North by Northwest is, number one, North by Northwest is a classic example of the MacGuffin. We've talked about the MacGuffin a lot on the show, but it really is a classic example of like chasing something you don't even know what it is. <laughs> and then at the end, it doesn't really even not matter that much. Secondly, I think the the visual language of Twin Suns is pretty inspired by at least some um, concepts and shots from North by Northwest, especially the crop dusting scene, uh, which if you're unfamiliar with the movie, just Google it right now. Google North by Northwest and probably the top photo that's going to come up is the actor running away from a plane that's a crop dusting plane that was crop dusting and then ends up charging at him because it's a, it's a villain. <laughs> and <laughs> the crop duster who is not dusting crops who then <laughs> attacks him in the crop duster plane. <laughs> An interesting th- – yeah, I know. I was like, okay. Um, the uh, Another interesting thing about that scene actually just in sort of the Star Wars history is that that scene heavily inspired the Rise of Skywalker TIE fighter scene with Rey and Kylo Ren. On Pisana. I just feel like it is always going to be part of the visual language of Star Wars. But basically, there's a lot of long, drawn out, empty scenes <laughs> in in Twin Suns of the desert. And it's pretty similar to uh, North by Northwest. Yeah, I think that this is one of the fun things about, about Star Wars is just kind of picking up this, you know, North by Northwest you hear it, you think of the movie, and there are some instances where it could just be they were like, here's an opportunity to put in a Hitchcock reference, North by Northwest, and that's where it ends. But as like an audience and as people who like to look at these things, it then gives you the opportunity to be like, even even if that's as far as the creator's intention went with this reference, which I, I think we both agree it didn't, but even if that was as far as it went, it's just a reference. To be able to then like go to North by Northwest and, and see where there are comparisons between these classic films with something that is classic like Star Wars. I don't know. It just it makes it really fun. And I'm glad you picked this topic. I always feel like Star Wars in liking Star Wars and digging deep into Star Wars is its own film education for me who never went to film school. Mm-hmm. But I always get super interested in certain concepts and things that are mentioned and I always wish that I went to film school or took some more film classes than I did in college because I did take some film classes, but not a ton. And I I just feel like I feel so lucky to like a franchise that is so influenced by a ton of different movies, modern and classic, that it always makes me want to dig for more to view. This is, just goes back to our conversation even in the last part of like all these different lenses in which we can view Star Wars. Just so entertaining to me. Yeah. So one of the one of the things about the crop dusting scene in North by Northwest is that Hitchcock said, you know, he wanted to quote subvert the cliche of a man being lured into a dark intersection of a city with rain slick streets and a black cat strolling by. And so the opposite of that was putting your protagonist in the middle of nowhere when the villain has nowhere to hide, which really kind of ups the ante because the protagonist sees the villain coming, sees the the crop duster plane coming. And there's nowhere to go. And when you look at – when you watch Rebels Recon too, you see kind of a similar thought process with the creators. I think it was Pablo and Rebels Recon who was talking about how they originally had thought about having Ezra go to Mos Eisley and being – you know, recreating Mos Eisley in, in Rebels. But ultimately that wasn't – 
getting across what they wanted. And so they switched to something that is very similar to North by Northwest with the right, of course, like the desert of Tatooine and how expansive it was. And you can do this 360 and there's nothing around you. And I think it's really fascinating. You know, when you think about North by Northwest, the villain is the crop duster plane that's coming after, what is it, Cary Grant? Mm-hmm. And and in here, the villain is in Ezra's mind for a big part of it. And we've been talking a lot about Obi-Wan and Maul and, and really just about the episode in general. But I don't think we can like stress enough how important this episode is for Ezra, mm-hmm. too, and his story. And that's why his story takes up half of it, yeah. uh, of the entire episode. There's this really interesting – there's this video I was watching uh, about North by Northwest. And they're talking about this scene, right? And – uh, the narrator of the video uh, brings up this quote from Hitchcock where they're talking about the crop duster scene specifically. Cary Grant is talking to someone on the bus about crop dusting and it's mindless chit-chat. And Hitchcock says, so now the next question is, if it's so ordinary as this, as crop dusting, now you begin to gradually drift into the extraordinary because you bring up the question naturally there's a plane dusting crops where there are no crops. So immediately your audience is starting to sit up. And I think the thing that really intrigued me about that quote was obviously, if it's so ordinary as this, now you begin to gradually drift into the extraordinary. And Star Wars, of course, does this remarkably well kind of all the time because they have the force to play around with. And Ezra is, he, you know, he's doing this kind of not that he's doing something ordinary, but he's in this desert and he's, you know, off on the walk and he's he's got his mindset on what he's going to do. He's confident in what he's doing. But this whole time he's being tricked by the extraordinary of the dark side and of Maul and he slips into that temptation and responds to it as well. And it lands – he become and, – and it's his journey, but then he becomes an observer at the end of it too – and then he exits from it as well. I don't know. I think it's a really great – like tracking Ezra through this episode is really fascinating in kind of – it's not quite the same as like, you know, the hero or heroine's journey of entering into the special world, right? Mm-mm. But it does have elements of that when you have these kind of spooky bits with the holocron and with Maul too that are in his head. But Maul is also very much there too. I don't know. It's cool. And that's the villain in the desert. Yeah, I think that is so right. And I really like this quote about drifting into the extraordinary because I think it's absolutely true that, yes, while this isn't Ezra like going into the world between worlds, this isn't Ezra drifting into the force, this isn't Ezra experiencing something super mystical, but it is something mystical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not super mystical, but it is mystical because he is being the villain is in his brain. And something happens. I think we've seen this countless times in cartoons in in tv shows and movies about like the oasis the the mirage in a desert i think we're really familiar with these desert narratives of wandering around in the desert and like what you see and it's your greatest desire or your greatest fear or something and that's exactly what happens to ezra and that is going into the extraordinary it is going into the mystic and i think that there's something really valuable in this about why did why did we have to bring Ezra to Tatooine? If we're talking like our conversation before about what is it about Tatooine, if it does represent a- adversity in this moment, it's this mystical adversity for Ezra. He's never been here. He it's filled with sandstorms. He doesn't know anyone, and he is presented with 
this manifestation of fear, this bond that he feels like he has with Maul. It's so interesting. We've dug into the the force bond with Maul before in the comparison to the the force bond with Rey and Kylo and how Maul is able to manipulate that for Ezra and how devious that becomes. And how is Ezra able to rise above that? That's what that's what the story is about. That's why Ezra is here. And I think for that reason, in the same way that Hitchcock wanted to incorporate a barren open, you know, crop dust, crop field in I think it's Nebraska. I think the Nebraska of it all is really similar to <laughs> Tatooine. And I think in in this way, it is adversity. It is rising above. It is figuring out that the, the it is realizing that the villain can't hide in anywhere but inside of his head and it's alarming yeah i think the the way that it's phrased by hitchcock of gradually drifting i think that's such a great way to look at it within this episode of rebels is you know ezra starts out and then the the storm slowly consumes him and when it's over, he's in a new place. It is kind of like entering into a, into an, an extraordinary world for a really brief moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's really fascinating because, you know, Ezra, this is the end of Ezra's relationship with Maul, which is an incredibly fascinating and, and cool uh, dichotomy, <laughs> I guess, a different form of a dyad uh, within within Star Wars Rebels that was developed between Maul and Ezra. And this is the end of it. And, you know, Ezra doesn't, Ezra doesn't do anything in this episode, like, with Maul or to Maul. Uh, he's obviously doing something for Maul. He doesn't know that, though. And he's not even a part or even a witness to the end of to, – to Maul's death. He leaves. Luke sends him away. But now – it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting how Ezra just kind of passes through this place. And in passing through, he ultimately brings Maul to Maul's end. But for as tied as he is to Maul in, in this time in his life, he's not actually a part of that at all. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it well, but... No, that's super interesting because... Like Ezra's very transient through this episode, I guess, might be mm-hmm. a good way to describe it. Yeah, but he's also an active player because he's the the manipulation in which Maul uses to um, inevitably get to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is, is he and active or is he's just the pawn? I guess he is, but he's actively, he actively chose to go to Tatooine. So yeah, he, yeah, he made the choice to go. Right. And I think that it's, it's interesting that the conversation about be- between pawn and making the choice is like a ever evolving Star Wars conversation. Yeah, the the transient nature I, I think with him in this episode is is good. I think Ezra is a character I need to come back to more often because I think his growth is such is so good. And season three is a really great season for Ezra in particular. But like the the way that this episode starts off with Hera Hera like pulling him inside and is like, "You cannot go." Like Lethal is happening now, and th- th- that's your planet, right? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> and <laughs> and Ezra actively chooses to buy into this temptation. And his conversation with Obi Wan at the end, where uh, he says uh, that Maul manipulated the truth, and right. Ezra says, "But the holocrons they tell the truth." And you know, of course, the perfect Obi Wan line of "The truth is often what we make of it." He says. You heard what you wanted to hear. Believe what you wanted to believe. But Ezra was still manipulated too. But he 
he believed the lie and then it became true because of how the force works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about the next concept then, because I think that really ties really well into a major theme of North by Northwest is moral relativism. And this is honestly the number one reason why I wanted to talk about Twin Suns and North by Northwest, because I, I find this so fascinating, mainly because I find it great to have a term to point to something that is said so often in Star Wars. So the definition of moral relativism is moral relativism is the idea that there's no universal or absolute set of moral principles. Moral relativism is on the opposite end of the continuum for moral absolutism, which is said that there's always one right answer to any ethical question. Those who adhere to moral relativism would say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Moral relativism is the view that moral judgments are true or false only relative to some particular standpoint. For example, that culture or historical period. And there's no standpoint that is uniquely privileged over all others. And okay, in layman's terms... It's a certain point of view. <laughs> and I think that this is so this being a major theme of North by Northwest and as we're saying North by Northwest is like, OK, this is what they're going for, because basically what this episode you walk away with this episode being like, oh, my God, Obi-Wan Kenobi thinks that Luke is the chosen one. Is Luke the chosen one? Does it even matter? Because that's a truth that that Obi-Wan clings to. And it's like his hope, his salvation. And I think that as a character, Obi-Wan is the person that we hear say uh, all those things may be true from a certain point of view, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that is has become such a Star Wars line. And then even in this episode, like Caitlin, you just mentioned, you know, he says, the truth, is, the truth is often what we make of it. You heard what you wanted to hear, believed what you wanted to believe. And it's because you can can go by this code of ethics, this like Jedi code or the Sith code and really believe this sort of moral relativism, this idea that like all of your morals are relative to this set of constructs that you've invented in your head or invented in a society, in that a culture. Bought, that you bought into. That you bought into, yes. Or were placed into. Exactly. And I think the whole idea about like who is the chosen one, it has been said Anakin Skywalker is the chosen one. And what makes it so interesting to me that in this point of time when Obi-Wan Kenobi thinks that Luke is the chosen one or could be the chosen one, to me, like I said before, I love debating this. I think it's so interesting that they made this choice that Dave was like, yes, we need to put this in there, that we could have a character so flawed as Obi-Wan Kenobi and that he needed something in his sad, sad life, which we know is so sad, right? <laughs> that he needs something to, to hope for. And that hope is Luke. And if he can put all his hope, someone who Obi-Wan Kenobi is someone who wasn't 100% sure if he even bought into the Chosen One theory that Qui-Gon so heavily pushed onto him when his dying wish was to train Anakin. And now mm -hmm. here he is being like, no, Luke is the Chosen One and I have been chosen to protect him, to watch over him. And to me, I feel like as an audience member, we're like, nope, Anakin's the Chosen One. We know because... Anakin sacrificed himself and redeemed himself and saved his son and hiya. You know what I mean? <laughs> but at this point in time, the fact that Obi-Wan believes this is a perfect example of this exercise in the fact that our characters are flawed and they come from a, a realism, I don't know, a, a, a sense of sort of rules that they've sort of built themselves for. Yeah, I think you think about Obi-Wan like you mentioned, of Qui-Gon kind of 
pushing this idea of the chosen one on to Obi-Wan when he didn't necessarily buy into Anakin in general, you know, on Tatooine when they met in The Phantom Menace. And now here he is, what, 35 years later, abandoned, stranded on Tatooine looking after Anakin's mm-hmm. son, who he believes is the chosen one. And then I think you get into the that butterfly effect of it all, of – Maybe in this moment, Luke is the chosen one because if Mm -hmm. Maul had gotten his way, Anakin wouldn't have been the chosen one because Mm -hmm. Luke wouldn't have been there to show compassion for him and be a part of his redemption story. And so then would it have switched to Leia? Would it have happened at all? You know, you start going down these rabbit holes, these what if scenarios, which, you know, are fun and dangerous. (laughs) That's so interesting because it's true. And I think this goes back to the theme in North by Northwest of moral relativism, of this idea, this opposite of absolutism, which we know because Obi-Wan literally said, only a Sith deals in absolutes. So this idea that all these different things can can coexist based off of your own beliefs and those beliefs can ground you in a certain sense of reality, it's just so fascinating to me because that's what Obi-Wan is dealing with in this episode of Twin Sons. It's also what Ezra is dealing with. He feels like so strongly that he must go to Tatooine. And it's only his, it's his code. It's what he's been told. And by Obi-Wan telling him later that, you know, the holocrons, even though they tell the truth, like Maul manipulated the truth. And that sense of truth that Ezra was operating from is false, but he still operated from a sen- that sense of truth. And him following that isn't necessarily wrong, but he, and he had to see it for himself. It's just so fa- it's just so interesting to me about this this idea that that Dave and Henry Gilroy really wanted to explore this 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 theme that is brought up so much in Star Wars of like a certain point of view and to the point where it's kind of a joke, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh yeah, a certain point of view, but at the end of the day, this idea that to me it really just shows that characters can be flawed, that they can have this belief system, but it doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them shows that they're a well more well-rounded character. Obi-Wan is kind of the perfect example of this in a roundabout backward kind of way because in the second trilogy he's he's the jedi absolutist <laughs> he he for him the, what the jedi says goes the whole thing in revenge of the sith is that the count you have to do what the council says anakin he's not happy about it he knows that it's you know telling telling anakin to spy on the chancellor he can see that something is wrong but he can't bring himself to extricate himself or to go against the Jedi Council. And th- that is that set of beliefs that he he believed in absolutely. Mm-hmm. But now things have changed for him on, on Tatooine in this time since the fall of the Empire. And we'll talk about this in the next part. But it leads to really interesting questions about what we'll see happen in Kenobi, the series as far as how his worldview starts to change. Because I don't think, even for all of the kind of mystical pieces that we get to see Obi-Wan experience in, or the, I'm sorry, the weird force stuff that we get to see Obi-Wan experience in Clone Wars, that's still never his wheelhouse. He's never super comfortable there. <laughs> no, like he's I think a about follower. Him, yeah. You know, you think about him on Mortis, which of course they don't remember Mortis, but when that ghost of Qui-Gon comes to him and he's like, whoa. <laughs> he's like, I'm I'm not sure about this. <laughs> but 
I don't know. I I think Obi-Wan is such an interesting character in that regard. And he is so tragic that in a way he kind of sees the error of his ways. We can see that presented in this episode in Twin Sons of who he was in Revenge of the Sith and what his devotion to the – like did his devotion to the Jedi – cause its downfall and not being able to be there for Anakin. I don't know. And that that unwavering belief that the Jedi were doing good. And so we just, you know, we just have to keep on keeping on and this will all end one day. And then it doesn't. I don't know. And and then, of course, there's the whole question of, not the question, but just him killing Maul in the end. And Maul's character in Rebels, I think, is when we first got Sam Witt, we were talking about the the comparison of Maul to Sisyphus and the rolling up the hill. And I remember, I wish I could find it, but I remember in some interview after this came out, Sam Witwer gave this like beautiful speech about Maul and this end and why it had to be Obi-Wan and how there wasn't any rest for Maul until he got to Obi-Wan. And it, and I think he said it didn't even matter if, if Maul won I think in a way Maul always kind of knew that this would be the end, that it had to be Obi-Wan, and that there was almost a sense of relief in seeing Obi-Wan again before he died, that he hadn't died in some other duel or something or or fight before he saw Obi-Wan again. And I just, I don't know, you start getting into – like with moral relativism, right? You start getting into conversations of was it right for – Maul to or for Obi-Wan to kill Maul to protect Luke who didn't even know was there something else he could have done and that's when you start spitting getting super exact with these things about like murder and duels and and death in the galaxy far far away and what counts and what doesn't and it's bad when someone here does it but okay when someone else does it and I think that I think this is a great example of that because with Obi-Wan, there's the intention behind it. And to compare it to his quote unquote murder of Maul and the Phantom Menace again to what happens here, the intention and the emotion behind it is completely different. And that does make all the difference, I think, when we start looking at it from a certain point of view. Mm. I did it. I think, I think that gets into another theme of North by Northwest, which is mistaken identity and this is like not even a theme it's the entire plot topic yeah it's the entire plot and i think that just even exploring north by northwest and comparing it to twin sons i think it's easy to be like oh yeah mistaken identity you can mistake the identity of luke as a chosen one you can mistake the identity of maul as a helper anything throughout the entire series and i think that when you talk about maul it's only it makes sense that that would come up well, the thing is, the thing is, is that I have been known to be a Luke is the chosen one kind of person. What? I mean, you kind of have, but I thought I thought that your your heart has changed. <laughs> I think you want my heart to have changed. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I think I I I waffle between the two all the time. I think you know, talking through it here, this idea that it does change based on who's telling the story that gets us back into our fractal 4D kind of way of thinking about Star Wars. I think I think that's kind of valid because I think here, I think the chosen one is Luke because without Luke, Anakin can't get redeemed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to think about this. Like, do you think there are like, 
I don't know because in my heart is like George Lucas said that Anakin <laughs> is the chosen one. And this is the same way that my brain works. And like George Lucas said, you're supposed to watch it one through six, you know? <laughs> I think that it's definitely, it could be explored, but that, that is, that is the example of moral relativism is that the, <laughs> the, the, rel- the, like what is relative to me is George Lucas's opinion. So therefore <laughs> I, my morality is based off of George Lucas, aka writer's opinions. <laughs> yeah. So it's so interesting that now, okay, so with Rebels, George is not involved, right? Yeah. So we do get way more conversations. And if we can go back to what we we're saying in the beginning of the show about the conversations that were happening at Lucasfilm at this time and about the force and about who is the chosen one and doubting what had happened to the point where in The Last Jedi, which comes out months after this, only months after this episode airs that we have a character such as Luke Skywalker talking about Darth Sidious in this way that is like not how the audience perceives what happened. When Luke is discussing what the Sith have done and how the it was the Jedi who let the Sith rise and he says, you know, the Jedi are romanticized, deified and he says he basically blames Obi-Wan for training Anakin and letting him rise to Darth Vader. And I always found that so interesting. And in this conversation about who is the chosen one, it's like that's the sense of truth that Luke clings to in The Last Jedi. That is the truth that he clings to. So, like, I feel like I can't agree or disagree that Luke is also the chosen one because I think that you can't just say that Luke is the chosen one. I think that. Anakin also has to be the chosen one. And I'm as I'm talking, I'm like, we need to do an episode about chosen one prophecies. It'll be as coherent as our cosmic versus living force episode. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like I, I can't give you a clear answer because I feel like my own biases about what I know prevent me from doing so. Yeah, because it is. I... I don't know. I just don't know what to think about that because I think you're right. You're right because would Anakin have turned from the dark side without Luke? I don't know. There is another. That's true. But is there? I I mean, there is, but like, could she have done it? Because the Leia we know probably wouldn't. Not to Vader. She wouldn't have that compassion for Vader. She didn't. She did, yeah, she didn't. But so. it was something that she had to overcome, and the story had her try to overcome that by the love of her son. And I feel like it was, yeah. But if Luke hadn't, uh, we're getting into like major what if territory here. But but I I kind of like it though. Like I think that these are conversations that people need to have because it's so. It is major what if territory, but it really does come back to this whole theme about moral relativism, about like the relativity of it all. Like if if one character believes it, does that make it true? Does it make it false? Because Obi- Obi-Wan believing it and Luke actually having a completely different idea about what Obi-Wan and Yoda wanted to have Luke do to Vader in Return of the Jedi. I think that's what I'm tripping up on, by the way, Caitlin, is that Obi-Wan and Yoda wanted luke to kill vader because they thought he was the chosen one but instead luke did something else and so like obi-wan's belief isn't necessarily wrong that he was destined to do something great that he was chosen to do something great because i think that the skywalkers are chosen to do something great (sighs) yeah 
know, thinking about Luke as the chosen one, the thing is, the thing is, right, like George says that Anakin is the chosen one. And I think that if you, you know, really press Dave Filoni, I think he'll probably tell you that Anakin is the chosen one too because Dave is the biggest George Lucas fan, right? <laughs> but I also think he would say, I think that Anakin is the chosen one, but what does Ben think? What does Obi-Wan think is the chosen one? Who does Maul think is the chosen I think that would be his response to that. Or I think he would be like, it doesn't matter what I think, who I think the chosen one is. It matters who these characters think the chosen one is. I feel like that's actually exactly what he would say. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> Whatever last episode I tried to do a Dave impression, it was so bad. I think I used the word lens and I was, you know, Dave, I don't think I've ever heard Dave use the word lens. So Same. it felt really, it felt really bad. <laughs> this feels more spun on. Felt wrong. Felt wrong. I said it. I, I was like, here's my Dave impression, how we view stories through the lenses of such and such. And then, you know, I recoiled. Dave has never said lens before. <laughs> <laughs> that's just what we say yeah, we yeah. say lenses all the time we, we say lenses uh too much and <laughs> anyway this felt more spot on you know it doesn't actually matter who i think the chosen one is who do these characters think the chosen one is right now though it matters who i think the chosen one is and i think it's luke <laughs> wow because wow. here's the thing okay if we're going to talk about the chosen one for a minute is or you know the next the past 10 minutes. The radical thing about Luke is that as soon as he finds out the most, the off, the worst thing in the world, as Ryan Johnson would say, mm -hmm. is that Vader is his father. His first reaction is that of compassion. Mm. That's the radicalness of Luke. That's what sets him apart from every other character, even Ahsoka in, in trials of the dark, uh, trials of the dark saber. What? Um, in Twilight of the Apprentice, <laughs> what? she sa she tells Anakin she all her response is I'll avenge his death. Luke's response is compassion, and that's that. And that I don't think that would have been Leia's response mm -hmm. if she if she found out in a, a similar manner, and to. And it's not that it's bad of Ahsoka or Leia, but that's the that's the radicalness of Luke, and that's what sets him apart from it. Like you can't, you can only. It was only through that radical love and compassion that Vader was able to respond to that and kill Sidious mm -hmm. for the love of his son. And I think – I don't think any other character we've seen through this whole thing, no matter how much they love Anakin, none of them loved Anakin as completely as Luke did because Luke loved Vader too. In a, yeah. And none of these other characters did. Um, not Obi-Wan, not Yoda, not Ahsoka. I think the only other person you could say comes close is Padme. Mm -hmm. but she she won't she didn't understand even really the get the chance exactly but she would have been the next like she that would have been her role i think yeah yeah uh anyway that's my pitch for luke as the chosen one i mean you make a really compelling argument yeah. <laughs> i feel like you can't argue with that because that is so true <laughs> the but things that you said are so true it's just hard because i yeah. think that the 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 way the story is set up 
actually just says the opposite? Or is it saying the opposite in order to uplift this other surprising subversion, which is Luke? Or does it just uplift the the necessity of the story based on the fractalness of them being oh my God. just created out of order that Anakin brings balance to the Force? But that was something that was set up after Anakin was already redeemed in it does. Return of the Jedi. You're right. But not that that's, like, wrong, because then, right, you get into the discussion that George has had some version of this story in his head since, like, 1974. Right. And then it's, like, how much, though? Yeah. <laughs> because that, we don't actually that's know. That's the question. And he- As Star Wars fans, we're like, he's known since the beginning. And then, you know, we read a bunch of stuff where we're like, but has he? <laughs> I think that's I think that's George Lucas's discussion of it, too. He's like, yeah, I knew. And then the next time we'll be like, oh, I made it up. Yeah. <laughs> He keeps us on our toes. Right. But yeah, I think at the I think at the end of the day, it's not important what we who we think the chosen one is. It's who do the characters think it is in the moment. Yeah. And I think that just in general, what the truth is, if if this episode like had a theme, I would say that like if it had a fortune cookie, like in Clone <laughs> Wars, I Aww. would say that the the fortune cookie would be about the the truths that we cling to. Yeah. The the certain point of view aspects of it. Because I really do feel like that's the theme of the episode is this understanding that while Obi-Wan can think this, while Ezra can think this, while Maul can think this, it doesn't make the story wrong. It doesn't make what they're going after incorrect. It's just the interesting like path in which they take, which is exactly what Star Wars is. Yeah. Oh, it's heavy. Oh, it's real heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's very heavy. <laughs> and it's like to me, just to pause, it's amazing to me what kind of conversations we can have from a 20-minute episode of animation. <laughs> because yeah, I and, years and ago. Yeah, exactly. And it's these conversations that we could have we were having different conversations about twin sons when it came out. We'll have different conversations in three years about it. But the fact is, is that I think that by the the very nature in which that Dave and the the creators beyond, behind Rebels strip this episode down into being a very character focused episode, it allows us to have these conversations about who's right, who's wrong. Does it even matter? It probably doesn't even matter because of the it's way relative. that yeah, it's all relative to each other. Just yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's relative in that Obi Wan had to kill Maul. He couldn't yeah. let him live. Mm-hmm. Maul had to die here. Yeah. Luke has to live. Exactly. If Maul had lived, there's no way that Maul was going to be able to live in this episode. Yeah. And I think that this episode does a good job, right, of, you know, gradually drifting into the extraordinary of – and that's the great thing about this this apprenticeship between Maul and Ezra is – you never know when he's actually there. And I just, I think one of, one of the most iconic promos from Rebels, right, is when you see Ezra with the holocron and his eyes are green, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, I, and we are all like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> so true. So I, the, the, the teases for this specific episode were so intense. They were, oh my, the whole Ezra and Maul relationship is incredible. And the, the way that they talk about temptation through that relationship and the way that as an audience you buy into Maul, like we fall for Maul's temptation too, uh-huh. especially in the Malachor episode. And it, it, 
It's very well done. <laughs> if you're interested in our mall conversation, we had a great, great talk with the number one mall fan, Katie, on the Clone Wars and mall and the comic and everything. Just if you're interested in diving deep into mall's head, we've done that. And it was an earlier episode this year. And it was really enlightening to me to think about mall as a compassionate character or someone who I can have compassion for. Yeah. Because that's something that like, I think the Clone Wars and Rebels were really trying to achieve. And it's something that I wasn't really awoke. Like I wasn't really awake to honestly until yeah. like pretty recently. And it's it's only until you realize that, like, he is so alone and he's always striving for, like, the next step of um, of power, of companionship, of master and apprenticeship. And, like, what does that even look like for Maul? Um, and then it's sad. And also touching that at the end of his life, he is in the arms of someone he's he's feuded with for so long. But he's not alone. And I, I think that's so interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, and Obi-Wan is the most consistent thing in his life. Yeah, it's Which a consistent enemy. But at the end of his life, they each have compassion and truth for each other. Which I think was, in your conversation about Luke's radical compassion, I would say the same actually could be said for Obi-Wan Kenobi in this moment as well where yes yeah. he had to kill Maul but in the end of his life it wasn't like Maul you deserve nothing it was here are the, the truths that you have clung to for so long because as we saw in the Clone Wars when um, Maul talks about the chosen one to Ahsoka which is like talk about radical yeah. mind-blowing <laughs> I think that we know that for decades at this point now he has been thinking about this because it is the his what he clings to with his relationship to Sidious because he wants the same knowledge that Sidious has and that's the knowledge that Sidious has yeah. and the fact that he gets this information at the end of his life whether it's wrong or right but the fact that Obi-Wan is able to share it with Maul is is a moment Mm-hmm. As as a side note, I've mentioned it a couple times, but I have a good friend who's going through the Clone Wars for the first time, and she's on season five now. She just started season five, and she texted me today, actually, that we're recording this, and she goes, I just had this moment where I realized, like, Maul is still alive. Whoa. <laughs> and I think it just kind of hit her, like, oh, he didn't die in the Phantom Menace, even, or it just kind of hit her new. I don't know. And I told her I, I went I texted her back just just wait <laughs> season five she just started season five of Clone Wars you still got the Lawless to go through so got Siege Mandalore she already said she's gonna go on to Rebels after after this she gets twin yeah. funds oh man <laughs> I want to be her I know I that that honestly when she was texting me that that's what I was thinking of. Wow, I, it would be so great to be able to binge Clone Wars for the first time. I know. I'm so jealous of people who get to yeah. do that. Yeah, and get to go from Clone Wars all the way through Rebels and Resistance, too. It's just such a treat. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so lucky. 2020 gives you one treat, and it's the Clone Wars and Rebels, and I'll take it. Yum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, are we ready to move into part three? Yes, let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. 
This is part three, our catch-all. We, as we said at the top of the show, longtime listeners know that we used to have catch-all parts all the time when we were reviewing stuff, when we couldn't think of a third part. <laughs> that was mostly it. <laughs> yeah. That's the thesis statement here. When we couldn't think of a third part, we named it catch-all. And it's back, ladies and gentlemen. It's here. It's here. The catch-all. <laughs> What I think is funny is that our notes in the catch-all are kind of things we've already talked about, too, of just, like, chopper in this episode. Sad. Yeah. (laughs) We talked about it a little bit, but, you know, why was it so important to have the – you mentioned this at the top of the show about the critique of this episode, and one of the big critiques at the time was just how much time we spent with Ezra. And we've touched on I, – I talked about it a little bit, but I want to hear more of your thoughts about why it was important to have so much of our time focused on Ezra in this episode. I feel like we cannot lose sight of the fact that Ezra is our main character in Rebels. And I understand that – like, without the fact that we would ha- we now have an Obi-Wan Kenobi show announcement that, like – I want to see Obi-Wan on Tatooine. We've never seen this before, except for maybe in those comics. I don't remember if they were out yet. Those like diary of Obi-Wan Kenobi comics, which are really quite good. And I wonder if they will be adhered to in the new series. But I do feel like understanding Ezra's arc uh, is necessary and um, keeping the focus on him, his relationship with Chopper, his the fact that he left the family to do his own thing is so crucial to understand and understanding Ezra's point in the story at this moment. I think such an interesting and like important quote from Ezra is what else can we do? We have to, we have to go forward when their, their ship crashes and there's, there's an explosion and they're kind of basically stranded on Tatooine. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that it's that quote while seemingly simple, there's very little dialogue in this episode. It feels like in comparison to others, I do feel like that is purely Ezra, hope through adversity, the ability to journey on even though like bad things have happened, like very bad things. And I know that's very Star Wars and it's very simple to point that out. But I do think that with Ezra in this moment, he in his own hero's journey, he needed to go on his on a mission on his own. And of course, he's not on his own because he has Chopper. But there's something that's so evocative about the fact that Ezra being the same age as Luke Skywalker at this moment, it's it, we're, we're getting so many images that feel so similar to A New Hope, whether it's wandering through the desert with an astromech-ish droid next to him. Um, and it makes, you, it makes you think about all these different images that you've seen throughout Star Wars, right? But for Ezra, it's, a, it's really a journey of failure, of coming back from it's very to me it feels very last jedi of like you're you're trying to seek something and you're actually not going to but what you learn is more about yourself and how uh it's not just about you really (laughs) and how you put other people in danger due to your own failure i suppose yeah yeah i agree i think you you put in the notes about how keenan was originally going to be in this episode too Mm -hmm. in some version of it and I think it's it's good to think about what that version of this episode would have looked like. And I imagine it would have – it could have looked very similar of Anakin and – or of uh, Kanan and Ezra walking together through the desert. 
But I think the question is, would they have even gotten this far? Because Kanan already told, like, Kanan this whole season is telling Ezra not to listen to Maul. And Ezra still does it. This whole season, he keeps listening to Maul. And this is this is how he got here. I don't know. I just, I wonder what Kanan would have been saying to Ezra throughout this journey in the desert, or if they would have even had this journey in the desert, if Kanan would have, would have taken them to Moss Eisley and asked for Obi-Wan Kenobi, would he have met Owen <laughs> or, or Varu or, or something like that? I think it's, it's interesting to think about. And I, I love thinking too about the fact that Ezra and Luke are the same age around the same yeah they're the same age at this at this juncture and Mm -hmm. it just makes you think about what would luke have been able to handle what ezra is going through in this moment uh i don't know and and when you think about like what could be happening in kenobi down the line right in a new hope giving the lightsaber to Luke is such this big thing. And it's like the introduction of the lightsaber and it's, it's very sacred. And we know that it's Anakin's lightsaber. And there's that whole great monologue from Obi-Wan explaining the force. But here you realize that Obi-Wan has at least encountered like Maul and Ezra in the interim, these force users. What other force users has he come across? I think like the mythology or just the the history of what happened to the Jedi in this time and these these outlier force users is going to be really interesting in Kenobi of, of how much they get incorporated. I kind of went off topic uh, from Ezra, but just thinking about the bigger picture of there are all these force users that are kind of inter uh, intersecting with Obi-Wan on Tatooine, just uh, earshot away from Luke who is completely unaware of this entire world that exists. It's so interesting. And it just watching Twin Sons, you cannot help but think about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Like it's all, to me, I'm like, oh my God, what does this mean? What is the Obi-Wan that we're going to glimpse at when we see the, that show? Is there going to be some sort of reference to Maul in the show? Does Obi-Wan even care about Darth Maul? I don't think so. Wait, you don't think Obi-Wan cares about Darth Maul? I mean, I'm sure he does, but I don't think that's going to be the central part of the series or mentioned at all. Yeah. Oh, no. I was thinking in Twin Suns. I was like, I think Obi-Wan cares a lot about Darth Oh, no. I think he totally does. Okay. I think that in in the show, the the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, I feel like it'll be interesting because this feels like such a pivotal point, especially like – I think as Star Wars fans, we chart a lot of things through animation. We've charted Ahsoka's journey through animation. We've charted Maul's journey through animation. And I think that now we will have a live action show where we can chart Obi-Wan's journey not through animation, but instead of live action, which is interesting because I think that we've gotten a lot of Obi-Wan in animation. But it'll be, to me, it'll be interesting to see what like the the main... Um, What's the problem? What is the what is what needs to be solved in that series? Because here it feels like the, the biggest problem is an enemy that could potentially hurt Luke Skywalker. That's all that Obi-Wan cares about. At least that's what we're to believe in Twin Sons. And to me, I think that even a series about that could be 
interesting. However, I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see, right? We'll the, see. The problem is he's got a hallucination of Anakin Skywalker. He has to. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only the only that's, way forward. That's, that's the only conflict here is he's got a ghost talking to him. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's impossible to not think about that when you watch Twin Sons in 2020. Um, And I think that it's hard because even just to the the conversation about like, why is it so important that Ezra was here? Why was it important that Kanan was like peeled back from this, that it was like really just Ezra's story? It's because Rebels is really just Ezra's story. Um, But it's, of course, like fans are like, Obi-Wan, what does this mean for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series? And like, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to say that. But it's, it's, just interesting to see how this will fit in which of course i think it will i don't think that these these things will be ignored um with the the series no it's just it's totally just recontextualizing it of as always yeah exactly of the what the next fractal brings us (laughs) yeah what do you do we think that it could that series could make us view this episode differently yeah absolutely because i think looking at i think the i think Siege of Mandalore made me reevaluate Maul differently, which then made me reevaluate the whole conversation between Maul and Obi-Wan at the end of this episode differently. So so interesting. Yeah, I I definitely think it will. I think there are interesting to, and you know, right, Kenobi is Deborah Chow's. She obviously has a very close working relationship with Dave Filoni. They've talked about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like Deborah Chow has seen this episode of Rebels, if not more of rebels and i think uh you know at the beginning we find out that senator organa confirms confirmed kenobi's death i think it's kanan or or hera that says that to azra at the beginning so that's an interesting tidbit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then also that you know the parallel i think i think it was kanan also who said if kenobi was alive do you think he'd be hiding on some backwater major parallel to luke here also Remember, again, this is before Last Jedi has come out. And the the parallels of of Obi-Wan and Luke and their apprentices, outstanding. <laughs> 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 that, is, that is something we will talk about at some point uh, because Luke, Luke's understanding of Obi-Wan is is that like we like you were saying his speech before to Rey in the Last Jedi? That's not really a reflection on Obi Wan. It's a reflection of himself. That mm-hmm. that's how he feels that he did the same thing to Ben to to Kylo Ren that Obi Wan did to Anakin. Um, so I think that's that's really fascinating too. And I think all of this is going to be in in Kenobi. I think it has to be in the way that Kenobi comes to. Reckon like the way that the show represents how Obi Wan will reconcile the events of the second trilogy. We'll have to put him in a pretty dark place for how he presents it to Luke in the original trilogy, right? Yes. Of, they have to of that blame that eventually gets cycled to Luke, or even it'll be interesting to see how. Obi-Wan comes to the realization or the first the belief in the chosen one prophecy which I'm not sure he even believes it at the end of Revenge of the Sith but yeah, does agreed. somehow here and two does he some how does he come to the conclusion that Luke is that and how does he have said affection for Luke um 
Yeah. It's it's like, how does that grow? Because at this point, I think that he is mourning the loss. Like at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he's mourning the loss of his brother, like Anakin, his his apprentice, everything. Um, And how does he not look at Luke with like a sense of spite over how like things went down? I don't know. I feel like that's that's a weird like point of view, but I could see that being explored. I think they'll have to try and give... You know, thinking back to our conversation about hope punk and giving Obi-Wan something to cling on to would be Luke, I think. Well, that's what he is in in this episode for sure. Yeah. That's like his his only respite. Yeah, exactly. But the weird thing is, is of him internalizing perhaps a lot of fault of everything that happened in the second trilogy, but then also having immense hope in Luke to right effectively Obi-Wan's wrongs. Mm-hmm. But through doing that, it's by killing Anakin and keeping that truth that Anakin is Luke's father from him. And will that be something that the Force tells him to do? Is that something that even comes up in conversation in Kenobi? Is that something he decides to do on his own? I don't know. I think there's there's going to be so much angst. Can't wait. <laughs> this is all we talk about with Kenobi, we're like the angst. The, the ghost angst. and the, the angst. Sadness. Yeah. The ghosts <laughs> and the angst. That's all I need. <laughs> Just to bring it back to Ezra, I think that there's this quote that was said in Rebels Recon about Obi-Wan, but I actually think it has some comparison to Ezra. And... I think that's where these characters are pretty reflective of each other in this moment, which is kind of surprising. But I guess they're both Jedi, so it makes a little bit of sense. Um, Here's the quote. Being out there is a journey. It's a rite of passage for him. It's like he's got to stand the heat of the desert, the cold of the night, and he has to learn that. All he cares of, all the cares that he's had, all the people he's seen die, I think that's very difficult for him. Like, we could be talking about Ezra, but we're really talking about Obi-Wan here. But mm-hmm. honestly, being in the desert for Ezra is a rite of passage. The fact that Ezra has all these fears and hopes and he cares so deeply about the family that he's a part of, but also mourning the loss of the family that he never knew. Well, he didn't really know super well his parents and all the people that he's seen die. And I think that in a way, I would say Ezra is a way more hopeful character than Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it, this moment is totally, this, this, this episode is totally a rite of passage for Ezra, and he needed to do it alone. And Chopper is that sort of um, guiding light, I think, with him, but at the same time, he's not with Kanan, he's not with a master, he's doing something alone. Yeah, I think... Earlier in the episode, I described Ezra as transient through this episode, particularly through Obi-Wan and Maul's stories, because this is the end of Maul's story. And this is, right, this quote you read was was about Obi-Wan, but you're right, it, it can apply to Ezra too. But the, like the entirety of Tatooine is Obi-Wan's like most important rite of passage probably in his lifetime. I think that'd be, at least at this juncture, easy to say. Uh, The things that he has to go through and learn and like we've been talking about reconcile with on Tatooine are, is the the rite of passage for him in a way, his Jedi trials. What I think is great about Ezra is that, yes, this is also a rite of passage for him, but we get to see these Jedi really isolate themselves in the end, we see that with Luke, who isolates himself. And then Ezra 
too will do the same thing at the end of Rebels, where he makes the final choice to 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 take the Purgles and go who knows where. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I just think kind of thinking when you were talking, I was thinking about the similarities between all three of these Jedi of I guess even Ray to a certain extent too of Ezra leaving of uh, for, probably for a long period of time wherever he is of Obi-Wan here on Tatooine for a long period of time learning something that he needs to learn uh, processing everything that's happened already and then of Luke isolating himself on Octo but as a way of escapism and punishment and blocking off the force. Whereas we know Obi-Wan is diving deep into the force, but both Obi-Wan and Luke are are very guilt-ridden isolations. I'm not sure what Ezra's is, what his looks like, but then we also see Rey as her like big choice of coming to a place of isolation herself and back to Tatooine. Of course she doesn't stay there. Right. But she is alone at the end, and she isn't the only Jedi, or I guess Finn is Force-sensitive, so maybe not, but we're not really led to know what she's doing next, which that, that piece of it is actually okay, but sorry, I was just kind of going off and thinking about the isolation of all these Jedi and what that rite of passage looks for them, or or perhaps what their most important rite of passage is. And I think with Luke, it would be interesting to think about what his most important trial is. Is it loving Vader, or is it coming back for Kylo? Or does one have to be more important than the other? No, it doesn't. Yeah, I think that what you haven't you haven't said the word exile. Uh, yes, and I you. think <laughs> I think that. Uh, Ben, Ezra, and Luke all experience a form of exile. I think that almost nearly an interpretation of Rey at the end of The Rise of Skywalker could be a form of exile. But in I think that by going down the path of more of rite of passage, I think makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that all these, like, let's remove Rey from the situation, but these male characters, I think, are do all experience a sense of exile and it's usually for the greater good right i think that luke believes his exile is for the greater good and there are arguments for for that that it is for the greater good and also against it right that's why ray's there um but then with ezra i just don't think we've gotten room to explore that sense of exile that removal from the situation that saved everyone um but also with obi-wan i think that you could argue that exile was necessary now will the series um beg that question i think so and i think that's really interesting honestly yeah it is because if obi-wan is there to protect luke yeah it was like one thank you for bringing up the word exile because that just like what didn't exist in my head for the past (laughs) five minutes that i was monologuing (laughs) isolation isolation (laughs) we're looking for caitlin is exile Uh, (laughs) but uh if obi-wan is there to protect luke Yes, that's his purpose there. Does Ezra have purpose wherever he is? The purpose of him enacting his exile was to save everyone. But what does that mean for him? Yeah, Yeah, his sacrifice. But what does that mean now that that is over, wherever he is? And Luke's is a little different. Kind of sits in the middle, I think, of Ezra and Obi-Wan of thinking he's doing what needs to be done. But it's also a form of punishment for himself with his 
exile. But then if we go back to like the protection of Luke and Luke being the chosen one, right? If if Luke had died, if Maul had killed Luke, then Anakin would never have gone through his redemption story. But if Obi-Wan wasn't on Tatooine, Maul wouldn't have been there either. <laughs> because Maul was chasing True. Obi-Wan. And you know, you yeah. the circles. <laughs> yeah, the circles. <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah. It's fun to think about. It is fun to think about, isn't it? Because would Luke have been totally fine without Obi-Wan? Again, I think this is this might be a question that is begged in in the Kenobi series is because of the way that Owen feels about Obi-Wan. It like has to come up that there is some sort of conflict about Obi-Wan like snooping and like over being overbearing and like Will Obi-Wan have to reconcile the fact that, like, it will Luke be better off without me? Will Luke be better off without the Jedi? Will Luke be better off knowing that he not like not knowing anything? And I think probably Obi-Wan will come at least in like one episode, come to the conclusion that the answer is yes. Ultimately, perhaps he won't. And we'll see. And like, maybe we'll see why. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I can't wait. I don't really have anything else to say about Twin Sons. I feel like um, we've said it all that we wanted to say <laughs> in this episode. Um, no, no, we have not said it all. There have been so many people who have done like amazing work about uncovering Twin Sons. And I think I'll probably on our website link some um, fan sites and essays and things about Twin Sons because there, to me, there can't be enough said about it. But in this episode, I feel like we've said a lot yeah, about. I feel, like, I feel like we went on some on some strange tangents of just really like i said kind of similar to our cosmic and living force discussion of just whoa, where where are we going happens, you know you never yeah. know when it comes to us yeah. what you're gonna get <laughs> like, you know, think, when you're talking about you know there are a lot of other people that have done like really great work on twin sons and yes that's absolutely true because i'm over here like wow we didn't even talk about like the fighting style really and like how <laughs> I know. And how, and, and how I mean, it's so perfect. Is. The yeah. samurai as style. Let's talk about it for a second. <laughs> it is so great because, again, it totally did a Ryan Johnson thing of subverting your expectations. And it was a quiet samurai defeat. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Very, yeah. very influent. It was just great. Yeah. This is how the the former Sith apprentice ends. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Oh, man. Yeah, I went there. And, and the move <laughs> that killed... Qui Gon, yeah, yeah, you know, so I, they know what they do, what they're doing. Yeah, they, definitely. they, they. <laughs> they, all of them. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. This was a lot of fun. I, I love Twin Sons. I love Rebels. I love Ezra and Chopper. And we all don't talk them. about Rebels enough. We don't talk about Rebels enough, even though we, it's because we cry. When we talk about rebels, every single time, <laughs> every single time. <laughs> but uh, if you want to find us online to talk more about Twin Sons, you can find us on Twitter at Skytalkers Pod. You can find our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity, and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, Skytalkers.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook. We are gearing up for the Mandalorian season two. Really looking forward to it. And uh, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes yet and would like to support the show, that's a great way to do it. And it helps other people find our show and talk about Star Wars with us because that's what we all like to do here, right? So tell your friends, bring them on board, leave a review. (laughs) And if you are interested in other ways to support us, 
more than that, you can also head on over to our Patreon, check out our reward tiers, be a part of our Discord community, and we talk. A, our Discord literally talks about everything under the sun. So <laughs> uh, come in and join in on the fun with us. Yeah, I love our Discord community. Also, we do have some bonus episodes up on our Patreon if you're interested in that and interested in joining. And today I wanted to thank these patrons, Claudia, Kate, Thomas, Bridget, Adam, Daniela, Jenna, Megan, Kate, Ewan, Vundacast, Christian, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, and Carrie. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.